the Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, Jason Bond in the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom's here with us. Tom, good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? We also have special guest on the line with us, Dr. Eric Webster from LSU. Eric, what's going on, man? Oh, it's good, man. It's just uh, hot as usual. Got that Baton Rouge smell in the air. All good. <laughs> yeah, it's hot here, too. It's actually supposed to cool yeah. off a little bit this week. There's like a minor chance of rain tonight and early in the morning, and then it's supposed to get at least out of the 90s for highs for a couple of days in it, Tom. Yeah, I thought like 87 tomorrow or something, but yeah. <clears throat> just sitting here thinking, so does that mean we have to have a rain for it to drop temperature-wise, or the temperature's just going to drop? If there's a front without rain, I don't know. I don't That's know. Probably I, a bad question. I know. I know. I wouldn't depend on a fifty percent chance of rain in July. Well, I think I looked last night, and strangely enough, it was about a sixty-nine percent chance of rain. Whatever, whatever weather app we use for some strange reason starts using these really odd seven. Yeah, how do they come up with that? Nine percent, eleven percent. I don't know either because if you look at the hourly, then all the hourlies are like five percent, seven percent, four percent, eleven percent, and then it's like okay, so. Where'd you get 69? Because nothing is up over 70% for the whole day. I bet it's a weather app that doesn't have its own subscription to the weather service, and it does an average of three or four. Well, that Wonderground or whatever it is is actually pretty good. That's the one I tend to use. I use the radar on on whatever the weather bug, I guess. What's your preferred weather app, Eric? I just use the Weather Channel, but mine does that too, the, the odd percentages. I find it kind of amusing at times. Of course, working in Crowley, you just kind of assume it. It's going to rain, right? Yeah, and I mean, the way it is, and I, I, I was making that joke about the smell here. It's just been so wet here that, you know, and the humidity gets up, and you get the paper mill smell like we had the other day. Actually, today, I think the coffee roasters were roasting across the river. There's actually a nice coffee roast smell in the, in the air. It's actually kind of pleasant out there today. Eric, I got a question for you. Okay. Say you're, I don't know, sitting in your office. A penguin walks in with a sombrero on. What do you think he would say? <laughs> no idea. Everybody, hold your breath. Everybody, everybody listening, hold your breath. He actually got it out. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Normally, Jason has problems with jokes regarding penguins, but I won't. I won't interrupt, Eric. Because it I, doesn't matter what the answer we is. We would appreciate because I was an able to ask the question point. without cracking up. I've never seen a penguin with a sombrero. So I have no idea. So. I, I'll bite. I guess it's an LSU thing because when, when Daniel was on with us back in the spring, I tried to ask him what would he do if he opened the freezer and a penguin sat up, and uh, but I could never get it out. I tried like three times, and I just kept cracking up. <laughs> <laughs> so today I kind of caught you off guard. I, being on the phone, it's a little bit better. Uh, interestingly enough, just to point this out, Daniel was also on the phone that day, so you really can't use that as an excuse, yeah, Jason. Yeah, but you cracked me up on that one. <laughs> Now, wait a minute, it's my fault now? <laughs> and I guess I could picture the, the penguin in the freezer more than I could the penguin with the sombrero on. I think he just says, what's up? <laughs> How many inches of rain do you think you've had since like the, I don't know, 1st of March? Since the 1st of April till the Tuesday of this week, about 35 inches. Oh. Incredible. Tom, how much we had? Last I looked in, it's been a little while. We were under our normal, and I think we're probably hovering. We're still probably under our normal to this point. I don't think we had near as much through June as what we normally do, but we did end up with that one week, and it really is going to depend on where you're at. The yeah. Stoneville Weather Station, that, that's we talked about what the difference was between Stoneville and Cleveland and then just like Renova. 
I mean, it was 10 inches difference between Cleveland and Renova. I was just going to say when we got all that, that rain back in, I guess it was in May, when we got the 10 inches on a Sunday or Monday night here in Baton Rouge, we were kind of sandwiched in between the the floods they were getting in Lake Charles and Crowley. You know, they got the, the heavies up 15 inches in, in Lake Charles, and then we got 10 here in Baton Rouge, and we were kind of sandwiched in the middle at 5 in Crowley. But we still went underwater. We've been underwater. My research plots have been underwater four times this year. So rice has been really stressed quite a bit, really across the whole area. Very little sunshine. We, we just don't ha- haven't had a lot of sunshiny days. That makes for a real good year to do weed control research. Yeah, it's been, you know, you set it up. We got, you know, a lot of, a fair amount of provi- injury from Provisi on the Provisi of Rice this year that we haven't been seeing on that PVLO2. Uh, but again, I think it was just so cloudy and the rice was stressed, like the old whip days, you know, three or four days of cloudy weather coupled with a fertilizer application. And then you hit it with Provisia, you can kind of set it up for injury. And that's kind of what we did. And, you know, after a few days, it kind of came out of it, but it was just all weather related. Even later, I would have thought some of our second applications, we would have had some issues because it was so cloudy. But I think a lot of it was we were getting warmer temps and it was just able to grow fast enough that it, the, the injury wasn't a big issue on the second application. What have you been seeing, you know, like off the station this year? How's the, what's the crop look like in Louisiana, you know, related to weed control? It's been pretty quiet up here. Yeah, it's been quiet here. We've had a few injury you know, calls. Uh, but other than that, it's been really good. The freeze was just outstanding. Grass pressure, I think, has been down. There's a, there's actually a field as you're heading to the south lawn there, you know, where I do all my research in Crowley. And it's just right off the road that we, we kind of watch every year because there's a couple of little areas out there that have little patches of grass that it's always in the same area. It always breaks right there. And, and for some reason, they're not there this year. And it may be for busy rice, but it's been those usual clumps of grass we're just not seeing. The red rice control is really good. You know, fields that I, I know have a lot of weedy rice in them or rogue rice, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think I've seen a lot less of that this year, which I just have to make the assumption that probably most of that's in provisia rice. But, you know, the pre's have just been just been something else this year, again, because of the moisture, you know, and you get some command out there, which a lot of people have, and then they're coming back with some prowl at some form or fashion at some point in time or splitting that command. And the moisture that we've had, it's just, I think it's activated at the beginning and then it's probably reactivating itself. We just haven't had any dry days, so those pre's have just performed really well. What percent of the rice do you think, at least in South Louisiana, is Provisia this year? Normally I can ride around and I can kind of see it, but I haven't haven't paid enough attention just to look at the stature of the plant. But I would say, just me guessing, we're probably 30% maybe. You know, it's it's a fair amount. Obviously, there's a good bit when you look at the grass control they're getting around, especially on the the, the weedy rice side. I I think the rice looks really good. Now, I think talking to to Ronnie Levy and some of the the guys that are in it every day, you know, around the state, I think they're kind of expecting the heads to be a little bit smaller than they have been in the past. You know, and, and I hate to use the word normal because I don't think normal exists in a biological system, but Things are just, it looks good, but it's just, I think we're going to see a little bit of a delay delay in, in the heading. 
Although I'll say this, the fields that are heading are heading very uniformly. Uh, usually you'll kind of pick it up around the edges, but once you start seeing heads, it's like the whole field goes at once. And I, the only other time I've seen that was last year. And we had a pretty good year last year, so so hopefully I'm, I'm, I think we're going to be okay. It's going to be a be an average year. What kind of acres did y'all end up with with Max Ace? I mean, I know that's not commercial, but I know they have a few around. You know, we have a couple fields. I'm just curious what y'all had. I think it's the same here. There's some spots of it around. You know, Rice Tech's always really good about putting signs up, you knowing what they've got in the field. And to be honest with you, I haven't seen many. I think it's the same same way as y'all. We've got some spotty areas of it but I, I couldn't give you an acreage number yeah uh, to be honest with you and I, as a whole i think we're down a little bit this year but you know if you were here in crowley for a while we're gonna we're gonna go rise in crowley area in southwest louisiana so we're not gonna make huge fluctuations the riding that i've done up in in north louisiana that northeast corner of the state uh, i think they're considerably down up there uh in in rice acreage and we are too. I mean, we're we're way off from where we were last year, and then lost a few acres, you know, with the flood a few weeks ago. And I I say a a few acres, and it's more than a few, but I don't I don't have a handle on how many rice acres were involved in that in that rainfall event over that what was that time five or six days, six or seven days. That'd be about right, Eric. I said Max Ace. Tell folks what Max Ace is and what the difference between Provisia and Max Ace is, just in case folks aren't familiar with those, I guess, trade names. The Provisia, of course, you know, is both the, the Provisia is the, the seed as well as the, the herbicide, and, and it's the herbicide active ingredient it is, is Quisalifop. And, of course, it's the, the Provisia rice is resistant to those, those ACCase inhibitors. And, and the Max Ace is the the same thing it's actually i thought it was a hybrid of course a lot of it is just logic you think it's a rice tech rice so you automatically i automatically assume it's a hybrid there's actually a an inbred line very similar you know what we release in the in the in the public from public universities it's a acc ace inhibit resistant rice as well active ingredient in their herbicide is high card is the trade namely it and it's quizalopop as well the big issue or difference, I think, in the two systems is the, the high card actually has uh, a safener in it, just like, say, Rice Car HD does. I'm assuming that their line, I have been told that their their line may not be quite as tolerant, uh, might not have the tolerance there is the reason they have it safened just a little bit. Uh, I've got some of it in my research plots this year. It looks very similar. The rice is actually a very good-looking rice. I like the stature of it. Uh, a really deep dark green color i can't tell a whole lot of difference i've got some provisia in this product side by side and they look very similar controls similar but with that being said we've had such good moisture very few days of just good dry ground and there's never been that drought stress as you know the the accas inhibitor herbicides the quizalopops the you know the assures the clinchers all of those work better when there's good moisture and, and we've had that so i haven't seen any difference in the weed control it looks like what you would think it would look like or, you know and, and i've always said that if i were going to pick a grass herbicide to put in rice especially for weedy rice control it would have been quizalifop so it it's uh it has a really nice fit for us and i 
I think it's just a mirror image of the Provisia system. I'd echo that too. The study we have that has the two side by side for whatever reason, we don't have just a tremendous amount of grass in it, but they're performing uh, really well at this point. The, the herbicide products and then the rice, we just fertilized. We're actually flooding it right now. So we hadn't gotten a, a good chance to see it. You know, when it, when it kicks off and start growing, we'll get a better idea about that. You mentioned North Louisiana, and my curiosity there is the row rice, Eric. So I feel like for us, with our acres having gone down this year, our percent of acres that are dedicated to that system is lower uh, than it was last year, and I don't have a good handle on what that percentage would be. I, I think we were upwards of 20% last year, and I think we're less than that this year so i'd be interested to know what your thoughts are on that system well i can tell you as i'm riding to of course we go to st joe and do work up there as well and, and i don't think there's a field of rice between baton rouge and st joe and last year there was quite a bit most of that was row rice i've been up into you know north of Tallulah a couple of times this year i'm just not seeing it you know and those are on the major routes i haven't been on a lot of the the parish roads and that sort of thing. But I, I think we're down considerably in that row rice. And, you know, we've lost rice acreage. Of course, it's up in that northeast portion. And I think, I'm again, it's anecdotal evidence, but I think a lot of our loss has been in that row rice system. I just don't see it like I did last year. You know, it works for some folks, and I think people are, are looking at it. And they're seeing some, some issues with it, maybe have backed off of it some. And, again, I'm making some assumptions here. And I could be dead wrong, but I, I think we've taken a, like you, I think we've taken a pretty considerable hit on the number of acres that we have in, in the row rice situation. Well, I know y'all have worked with it some, and, and we've worked with it some, and I don't think that we have, I mean, I have ideas on how to manage it, and I'm talking about manage it from a weed control aspect. So do you have... I guess the beginnings of, of an idea on a weed control program for row rice? From what we're seeing, and we've got some in, in, in St. Joe, and actually doing, I call it more upland rice in South Louisiana, because I'm still, you know, we're not going to pull a lot of rows down here uh, because of the shallowness of our soil. But I've planted some like a just typical rice field and just sort of maintain the water like a, a flush on a you know surface irrigation over a, a once a week or hadn't had to do that much because of all the rainfall. But the one thing that I've seen both here and at, at St. Joe, I think the, the key herbicide in that system is, is facet. And I think you have to have it somewhere in that system. Now, if it were me, of course, I would grow the hybrid, which most people do. Um, we've got some this year at Crowley. It just looks fantastic. I mean, it's it's green. You know, we heavily fertilized it with 300 pounds of urea at the beginning. And, you know, I know you're not supposed to do that to the hybrid, but I felt like in that in that upland system like that, it was going to need a little bit more. We don't tend to nurse it kind of like what the grower will do, so we try to do a little bit more at once, and then we top dress for, with another 150 and I know that's a little bit too much for that rice, but the, the amount of you're looking at it, you would say that's probably dead on. And for the moisture we've had, that's probably right. 
And then I really like the clear field system with it because I can go in there with like a clear path that has that quinclorac, that facet side of it. And so I, I just, that's the one herbicide that if I were growing row rice that I would have in the system somewhere. And, and there's several reasons, you know, if I got a lot of primal top, then maybe I'd think, think that differently, but I just like facet and how it continues to release itself as it gets a, a shot of moisture. So whether you're you're flushing it or whether you're getting a rain, it sort of reactivates itself and you, you get some extended control. And then that's, again, that's the one herbicide I would not leave out of that system. I feel like we're doing okay with it. You know, we get into the quirky broad leaves with, you know, Palmer is a big problem for us. And then, you know, prickly cider and, and Johnson grass. And I said broad leaves, Johnson grass, not a broad leaf, obviously, but you know, we get into some weeds that are not traditional rice weeds, and then they have to be addressed some kind of way. The I guess a question that has been repeated this year on our row rice acres, it seems like sometimes these fields end up in not in blocks of rice, you know. So you might have a, a field or a couple, three fields, and then say they got corn on three sides or corn on two yeah. sides and beans on two sides. So then you're basically out on an aerial application because the wind, you know, it's going to blow from one of the four directions every day. So then you're down to dedicated ground applications, and then so many of our rice herbicides work a lot better if we got good moisture in that profile. So we get some, I guess, poor results with a treatment that has historically been good. And it's just because the way we have to farm it, so to speak, it, it's got to be dry enough to get that ground rig across the field. And, and by that point, it's too dry for optimum uh, effectiveness from the herbicide treatment. Yeah. I mean, I think that and that's always been my, I guess, my concern about that system. And, and I, this is kind of my comment all the time is every rice herbicide was developed with water in the system somewhere. And so you automatically are are, are putting a lot more on that herbicide to perform under conditions that may not been developed to do. You see what I'm saying? And and I think that's that, that moisture is just important. And you mentioned prickly cider. I got a call yesterday. Oh, I got prickly cider in my road rice field. You know, I've never had a prickly cider question. Before it was over with, I forgot I was talking row rice, and I said, don't worry about the prickly cider, flood it up. And they're like, wait a minute, you're talking about row rice. So, no, don't. You know, so it, my my thought process had to change. And then you just start throwing things out there. You know, I, I just gave the guy about four different options of, you know, you can do this or this or this, and I think it'll solve your problem. But you just don't – I just don't know uh, because I've never had that issue. And then you get, well, he's not going to be able to get that out. Then you're, you're down to choice – two or three or even four that's not as effective and just in the interest of trying to get a treatment on the field well and you raise a really fascinating point there eric that water is in the system for the herbicides to work in a rice production practice well you probably know more about the breeding situation inside of things than maybe what we do here in mississippi with that in mind is anybody breeding rice for a row rice production system because rice in general should be grown with water. Yeah, and, and that's funny that you mentioned that too, Tom, because I was having the conversation with the same guy that called me yesterday, last year. I said, the, the issue is not necessarily the herbicides. You don't have a variety that was developed for that kind of system. So you really have a weakness on that end. 
and and I don't know if if, if Adam is is doing some of that. You know, again, you're changing the system for. I like doing what I do every day because I don't have to change. You know what I'm saying? And so that's a totally different way of doing things. I can tell you, I, I don't think he has anything in Crowley in that area. Now, whether he's doing some of that work, you know, North Louisiana or just guessing at some things, I, I really don't think that there's a concerted program focusing on that at some, to some extent. Well, and when you mentioned Other the, than maybe the Rice Tech guys. Right. And, and when, you, when you mentioned the fertility, I kind of gasped inwardly because from a pathology standpoint, that's, that's way too much fertilizer for some of the things that we could deal with. And you've changed your environment when you're growing it in this raw rice production system. And I realize that's a water conservation method. But what are we doing to the plant? Because we're changing everything for the plant at this point. I'm not arguing with you at all. And, then, and if you look at the fertility programs, my understanding is even at the, at the grower level, it's a constant nursing of the urea. It may not be that like I do with a one, one shot deal, but it, you know, with a heavy up front, but they're still doing it three or four times, you know, an extra time more than maybe what we would do in a flooded rice situation. So you've always got, and I'm not a pathologist, but I would assume like you're mentioning, if I'm constantly nursing that nitrogen, that I'm also getting a green up and things changing as that season progresses that we haven't really dealt with at our usual rice production systems. Our operation is small scale compared with a commercial farm, but we're probably in our fifth year of having, you know, furrow irrigated rice research on some level, anywhere from a few plots, you know, strip trial type stuff to a, this year's really a full blown program. And if it's been five years, we've probably done it four different ways. And we really changed the yep. way we did it this year because last year was so bad. Uh, our yields just weren't mm-hmm. even expecting low yields with weed control research and all that. We don't ever cut good plots in rice or beans, but they were even a little bit low for what we expected. So we changed some stuff up again this year. So we're we're trying to figure it out as well. I think that's the case with everybody. I, even the growers, I think they, they've probably not done the same things two years in a row because they're they're seeing well. I need to I need to make this adjustment, and that you know moving target is much harder to hit. All right, Eric. So we know that you're changing roles a little bit and and moving on a little bit. Well, I, I, I'm <laughs> I'm trying to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're changing roles a lot, and it's actually a, a, a large step. Not only is there a move involved, but could you talk to us a little bit about the role that you're going to be taking now moving forward? Sure. I appreciate the question, but uh, I had an opportunity to, to move positions, and uh, my wife and I talked about it quite a bit, and I'm taking the opportunity to move to the University of Wyoming. I'll be at Laramie. I'll be an associate dean as well as director of the Wyoming Agricultural Experiment Station. So it's a, it's an opportunity to do something different. And, you know, I've always been one that I've moved, even though I've been in the South, I've moved quite a bit. I grew up in Alabama. I grew up on a research station. My dad was a resident director at, at Belmina, the Tennessee Valley Research and Extension Center. Went to school at Auburn, left there, went to Mississippi State, left there, worked at the University of Arkansas for a couple of years, left there. Uh, and and came down here to Louisiana and, and been here for 24 years. Felt like it was time for me to, to do something different. My goal in life has always been to be a director of an agricultural experiment station, 
and the way titles have merged over the years, you don't see that very often. And uh, the opportunity to do that, plus do it drastically, you know, I, I just it's something I couldn't pass up. I'm getting on up in the years, if you will, and it was an opportunity. If we were going to do it now, was a good time to do it. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the change of pace. I'm looking forward to the the new people and new challenges. And obviously, Wyoming is a is a different challenge than here. Going from you know 30 inches of rainfall in three months to maybe 15 inches of moisture, if you will, in in, in 12 months. So it's going to be different, different production systems, definitely no rice up there. I think the big issue is going to be cold, and we're going to have to get used to that. But I'll be honest with you, I think the altitude change is going to be something for us because I live at about 50 feet above sea level, and we're going to a little over 7,200 feet. Oh, so, uh, I don't guess I knew it was that high. Oh, wow. Well, you won't be running a marathon yeah. when you first get there, but no. <laughs> you're going to kind of have to ease yourself right. into that. Yeah, the official altitude in Laramie is 7,280 7, feet above sea level. We know that the LSU Ag Center and the rice farmers of the state of Louisiana are certainly losing an outstanding weed scientist, but I, I think Wyoming is obviously gaining somebody with some really good credentials. Well, I appreciate that. The rice farmers of Mississippi are losing an asset, too, because that's, right, yeah. my, that's, <laughs> that's, that's where you glean the bulk of your information. Board, yeah. yeah, I know. That's a, We're all going to kind of lose that. Well, I, I don't have any intention of changing my phone number, at least for a while, <laughs> so you guys will know how to get in touch with me, and a lot of the farmers and all will, too. But I, I always go back to my, my first boss, Ed Colburn at the University of Arkansas, used to tell me, he said, you know, People around here think they're irreplaceable. And he said, my suggestion would be stick your hand in a bucket of water and pull it out and see how big a hole you leave. That's always a term that I've always kind of, you know, a little phrase I've kind of lived by that everybody can be replaced. And I'm thinking in, in, a, in a few months when they, they hire somebody to fill my position, I'll, I'll just be a distant memory. And it, it, they'll, they'll find somebody that'll, that'll just pick up where, where I left off. And I probably had gotten in a rut and, and somebody new that looks at things a little different, as Ford used to say, in full of urine and vinegar. Uh, and you see that with the young people that that'll do something a little bit different than I'm doing. And it'd be a good change of pace for for rice production as well, just having a different view on things. And the only person that I know that left a hole in a bucket of water when they pulled their hand out, and I'm not even sure if he did that, was Steve Lenscombe, and that's because he walked on water. There ain't no doubt. And I and I was actually <laughs> gonna say when you. When you said that about Dr. Coburn, Linscombe used to tell me the same thing, and I always never said it to him out loud, but I always thought, man, you, you're you crazy because when you leave, there is going to be a, a big sucking hole. <laughs> but I talk to Steve sometimes once or twice a week, particularly this time of year, and, and he's doing well and has moved on to different different interests, and, and I think that you'll do the same thing. And, man, I couldn't say enough for the stuff you've done for me and for us over the years. And, uh, you know, those of you that are in Mississippi, a lot of the answers you get probably at one point or another uh, originated with Eric because he either taught me that or he answered a, answered his phone when I called and asked him the question that got posed to me. So, man, I'll miss you, but I appreciate everything that you've done for us uh, over the years. Man. Well, I appreciate it. I'll miss those kind of things that interaction but i'm sure we'll keep doing it i mean we're we're not only colleagues we're friends too and have been for quite some time that's right 
Well, I appreciate y'all having me on today. We're thankful we get to spend a little bit of time with you towards the end here as you're winding down before you move on, Eric. And as usual, we thank our regular listeners. This is certainly something we're continuing to enjoy and, you know, keep up the great comments. If you got any, any ideas about content or anything like that, let us know. And as always, if you need any one-on-one consultation about something, track us down. We're always willing to talk on the phone. Thanks, Eric. Well, give me a little bit to get my feet on the ground out there, and y'all give me a call. Let's do this again for a while. Okay. That'd be awesome. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.